Good evening, everyone. This is Lacey Johnson bringing you another edition of the Lacey Johnson podcast. Uh, today, we have a special Veterans Day edition. We have a very special guest with extensive military background, uh, the type of uh, armed service person that we'd be very proud of. And his name is Mr. Adam Schwartz. So we're going to have him on shortly here. Uh, in the meantime, go out uh, LaceyJohnson.com, subscribe to my channel, uh, visit the online store, press the bell for notification. Uh, hey, and we welcome comments also, uh, good, bad, or indifference. Uh, we welcome all comments. It doesn't always have to be a pat on the back. It can be some criticism, so go out and do that. Uh, before we bring our guest on, I'll have to talk a little bit about my uh, memories and fondness uh, for Veterans Day. Uh, that's for, include my dad, my, my dad and my two brothers, uh, three brothers, I'm sorry. They all served in the military. And uh, if I had one regret, and I normally don't have regrets in life because to regret something means you're looking back at the past. And I'm, I try to be always a forward-looking person anything that happens to me good or bad that's a purpose to it and i look at it from a spiritual angle uh so i have very few regrets one of the, my little minor ones is i didn't serve in the military uh, i think uh, i think we all have an obligation to serve our country uh some type of way uh in fact and this is kind of inside i think every american should pay taxes even if it's just a dollar even if they get money back i think every american should have to write out a check to the government in some kind of way and that just let us know that uh, we are all in this together. So I'm not going to get too much into that. Uh, and by the way, uh, I was in ROTC for three days, the Air Force ROTC. And some of you have heard this story before. When I was a sophomore in college, uh, I decided that I wanted to be a, a pilot, a jet fighter pilot. I'm going to join the Air Force, become a jet fighter pilot. And plus, back in those days, I don't know what it is right now. If you joined while you were a junior, uh, uh, a freshman or a junior, you got $200 a month stipend. Well, they gave me a eye test and told me I needed 20-20 vision to be a pilot. And besides that, they let me know that I wouldn't get my $200 stipend until the next year. So my dream of being a fighter pilot went out the window. Now, uh, ironically, I ended up spending most of my professional career in defense system de development. And so ironically, uh, when you see any of the fighter jets from the F-4, the F-14, F-16, F-18, my company's computers are on those fighter jets. And I probably had something to do. In fact, I, I probably tested every one of those computers on every one of those fighter jets. And I thought about that when I saw uh, Tom Cruise uh, in the film, and they were flying an F-14. Uh, uh, and so I was kind of proud of the fact that I contributed uh, to the, the defense of our countries. Uh, we did a lot of great things besides the standard airborne computers that uh, control all the fighter jets. We did uh, some work on missile guidance systems, uh, the database on that. Uh, I tell everybody we built the first a non-film-based air reconnaissance system. Uh, it just so happened that the computer that flies the fighter jets also was useful in the MK-50 torpedo. So I've done what I could to uh, serve my country in that area. And probably the most memorable and rewarding experience of, of being in the defense contract area is that I just got a chance to get a lot of great service. Uh, I, mean, I, I was just so proud of it type of man that it generates. Uh, another side that I'll do, we're going to bring on Adam here. I wish they would force military service on a lot of these kids out here in the streets doing bad things. Uh, I don't know. I think they used to do that at one time. And I wish we would bring that back. You want to be a gangbanger? Go in the army and they'll teach you how to gangbang. Go, go in there and deal with some of these drill sergeants and, and things like that. It'll, it'll change you. It'll change your perspective. And I'm just convinced that 99% of the time you'll come out a better person versus jail or prison or something where you come out a worse person. So that's just a little aside there too. And I'll probably spend as much time as I should on this subject. Uh, so I'm gonna get ready to bring in our guest. And so you can listen to him and his great story instead of mine. 
Uh, so let's bring him on. Uh, Adam, welcome to the Lacey Johnson podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, good evening, Mr. Johnson. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, I should explain to our audience, I think the first time we met, uh, I was having an investor forum, and our audience should know that one of my priorities in life is to bring uh, for-profit global businesses uh, to the African, mainly African-American communities, inner-city communities, uh, for-profit companies in technology, uh, investment, uh, consumer products that uh, I just believe uh, there will be, in order to receive social justice, we need financial justice. In order to get financial justice in a free enterprise capitalist system, you got to go out there and come up with some goods and products that the market desire and go out there and work hard and work long and make it work and uh, be tenacious. And so that's what I'm trying to do to change the culture uh, in a lot of these communities because a lot of them right now, the economy is based on a lot of nonprofits. And I don't have an issue for it. That's a place for them. But a lot of times in our community, what the nonprofits do, it pays people salaries and let them buy cars, but it doesn't solve any issues. And I think that uh, to solve, get to the root of most of the issues that face in our community, God, family, education, and prosperity by leveraging the benefits of the free enterprise system. So that's my soapbox. Now, Adam. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I met him at this investor forum. Oh, by the way, I should tell our audience, you, you're you all supportive of it. And we'll get into it later on in the show. Some of the things you're doing to help me realize my goals and visions uh, as far as business development in these communities. All right. Uh, Adam, I do know, I think I know, and if I don't, please correct me, uh, that you are a former Marine. Uh uh, you are a maybe a former or still is you know, a Navy SEAL. You had experience as a Navy SEAL, and you spend a lot of good time serving your community. But before we get into those, and you're working on your master's, I think this man got about three or four, five, six. I stopped counting his degrees. We'll talk about that in a little bit, and he's working on that. But before we get into that, why don't we uh, let the audience know a little bit about you, such as where you're from, where you were raised, uh, what things in your childhood set the groundwork, the foundation for who you turned out to be today? Because as people know, one of my favorite phrases is the child is the father of the man. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your childhood and growing up and where you grew up at. Yeah, you uh, thanks for the kind intro. You, you got all the, the major movements correct. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota. I grew up in Bloomington. I was adopted at an early age of six months years old. Um, both my uh, biological adopted families are from the state of Minnesota. I was blessed to have um, two parents in a two-parent household growing up. Um, they worked. My parents were lower middle income class. Um, we had a very meager, small house in, a, in, in the, the east side of Bloomington, which is the, not, the, the, the non-affluent side. And my parents worked two jobs so I could play hockey. Uh, and because I was their only child, they were able to afford that for me. Hockey's a pretty expensive sport. I graduated in 2002 from Bloomington Kennedy. And you have to take things into context. Uh, my senior year was 9-11. So the Twin Towers fell when I was sitting in high school my senior year. I had already been on a path to military service that I already was in the process of actually trying to enlist into the Navy, coincidentally. Um, but after the Twin Towers fell, the Navy recruiting office was closed for a period of time, was outside the Marine recruiting station, had no actually idea what a Marine was. Uh, but first to contact, first to contract, as the saying goes in the recruiting world. And the Marines, yeah. uh, they did me they did me well. Actually, I owe pretty much my entire life to the Marine Corps because that, you know, that non-ath of virtue that I was on, I mean, as you were talking about in your intro, they really corrected it for me. And, you know, I was trying to be an enlisted SEAL. I'd wanted to be a SEAL my whole life. There's no way I had the maturity or the fortitude to get through the SEAL pipeline at that point in my life. Yeah. But God willing, after getting through the Marine Corps, I was on my first deployment that following year. I did all five phases of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And then I was fortunate enough to go and work with the Department of State and some other 
agencies abroad that do foreign service national aid. I kind of opened my aperture for only international relations, but just the importance of education because the Department of State uh, and diplomats and ambassadors that I was working alongside were really impressive. I attributed that to their phenomenal educational backgrounds. So that was where I kind of had a change in, in direction from just being an enlisted shooter operator in the Marine Corps to getting selected for a paid for commissioning program by the Marines. Came back to the University of Minnesota where I got my commission to the Navy did was select was successfully selected for a Naval Special Warfare Officer candidate, completed a Navy SEAL officer, uh, achieving my childhood dream in 2013. Did a couple of deployments with SEAL Team 3 before getting screened and selected for an entity that does Naval Special Warfare undersea things for the last seven years of my service. But then I also completed a few degrees at Harvard, uh, have an international relations master's, uh, international security master's certificate, and nuclear deterrence master's certificate. And then as I'm, as you know, personally, I'm working through a, a master's in business administration through Johns Hopkins, where I hope to empower UBX because I, I think that you have a great thing going on. I know you briefly hit it, but I'm just really on board with, you, you know, the, the it's so provocative when we talk about diversity and it shouldn't be. Um, American history is, is facts. It shouldn't be a provocative thing to talk about. And I think that we missed the mark, whether you're coming from the left or the right or general, is America was built on the free market principles small business economics. And I think that you have a really unique approach to solve some of those questions that were, you know, enacted by redlining, by poor governments, poor leadership, you know, racist agendas, whatever you want to talk about, that happened. It's it's American history. But where you're talking about and where your efforts are is an, a really great solution to those those uh, injustices. And, I, and it's something that I think that is unique, and I, and I certainly want to get on board to embolden your past. And really, these are these are win-win for all stakeholders. They're win-win for the for the redlined communities, as you said, for the African Americans, the people of color that largely inhabit those former redlined areas, and they're win for business. And that's, I mean, these all stakeholders win. Yes, and well, it's good to come across people to meet people like you who see the vision and understand it and buy into it. And so I really appreciate all the support you have given me and all the great things you're doing now to help support my effort, including using some platform at John Hopkins University. So you and I are going to be getting to know each other very well once you complete uh, your education. It's a master's degree, right? Yeah, it'll be my, I think my fifth and sixth degree total, but it'll be, I think, my fifth, fifth master's. Okay. So let's go back a little bit. First of all, uh, not being from Minnesota, uh, I told you we built these standard airborne computers, but that was that control data. I, I like to give control data and build NARS that I found the uh, props whenever I can. But what I'm getting to is that I had uh, some administrative assistants who lived in Bloomington, and they let me know very early about East Bloomington versus prestigious yeah. West Bloomington. Yeah, they let me know I could never say West Bloomington without the word prestigious. So, so you reminded uh, uh, me of that story. And for those who don't, don't know Minnesota or the metro area, uh, Bloomington is a suburb of Minneapolis St. Paul. So, so that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is you kind of indicated that uh, you was a little troubled child or something at one time during your teenage years, like you know a lot of us are. Can you give us a little inkling of the type of trouble you were getting into, Adam, uh, before, when you were teenagers and you, you didn't appreciate your private school education and, and all the hard work and sacrifice your parents were making to give you that education? Give us a little hint of the type of things that you were doing before you got your act together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't like having any run-ins with the law or anything to that end state, but again, I it's, it's very uh, sad now, now that I have this maturity and this breadth of experience on the poor that I did when I was a young uh, high schooler, you know, just not attending class, skipping class, not paying attention, um, just being problematic within the, the, the classroom and not homework. 
when I was at uh, the private school, you know, I think 97% of the graduating students there get the college of their choice. Uh, I was not on a track to graduate on time at the private school. I came back to public schools and you, and when you, you talk about the Bloomington uh, school system, there's the, the, you know, the, the West side, the affluent side, and then the East side, the, the more blue collar side of the city where I'm from, um, not everybody graduates from, you know, the, the Bloomington East side public school system. And I was on that track as well to, I had to take a night class my senior year of high school, actually. It wasn't until uh, my senior year, my hockey coach, who I will always be indebted for his mentorship and his leadership at that point in my life, he benched me my senior year. And, you know, I know you have a, a, a national base here for, for those who are around the, the nation. In, in Minnesota, hockey is life. Uh, football's a, a thing, but really hockey is life. We, we teach our kids how to skate uh, about the same time as we teach them how to walk. So that was an electric shock to my fiber as my senior year, and the, you know, playing high school hockey at the varsity level, getting benched um, for a couple of games because, you know, my my coach found out how poor my grades were, and really that was kind of the turning point in the wake up call that I needed to correct my life. I, I then I you know attained the the marks I needed to graduate on time because I don't want to miss any more hockey games my senior year, and then upon that I, completion of high school, I entered the Marine Corps, and that really set me up for the rest of my life. Just with you know indoctrinating response responsibility work ethic right taint right right time right place right gear right attitude and i feel like those simple things that if Amer americans were able to do right place right time right right uniform i know you're looking sharp in a suit this evening i i look you know sharp you know with the right uniform on that just being at the right place at the right time with the right uniform sets you up for success and and you know is the is the easiest way to, to succeed in America, in my opinion. Uh, I agree with it. Now, uh, I often wondered this. I joined the Air Force because, well, I went to Air Force ROTC because I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, what went into your decision of all the branches of the armed services? Why did you choose the Marine? And why did you always wanted to be a Navy SEAL? That's a great question. I had always watched the History Channel growing up, and I watched the partnerships between the small unit Navy SEAL entities, elements beyond the lines in the Vietnam Wars, how they were taking out, you know, four to eight men would take on these, you know, battalion sized elements of the Viet Cong and just give them a swift butt kicking in these raids and then disappear like they were never. The Viet Cong thought they were fighting you know, platoons, battalions of, you know, army Marines, but no, it was just four to eight pipe pit Navy SEALs crushing their, their souls. And then Diddy Mowen before they even got hemmed up. And I was just enamored with that history, illustrious history and some of the combat stories that, you know, did come uh, to the public light from those engagements. I, again, I didn't, I, I, I didn't, my Marine buddies gave me so much very crossed over the SEALs. I just didn't know what Marines were, but I, I do attribute the success of my entire adult life to the Marine Corps because uh, as as I said our first to fight you know we have Marines pre-positioned strategically on ships all around the world so a Marine uh, unit can be anywhere in the world within 30 days and they can self-sustain for about I think 90 days which is you know you're talking about 9-11 or God it happens right now you know we have all these different wars in Ukraine and Israel you know, Iran is a question mark, North Park, you know, Russia proper question mark. There's a lot of threats out there around the world. Um, America is in a very uh, precarious position right now. We're not as strong as we were when I was a kid. We're actually probably the weakest as a nation we've ever been since I've been alive on this planet. Uh, but the Marines are going to be the first ones to take that those first shots if, if things get sideways. Okay. And I mentioned my dad uh, earlier being a veteran. And what I noticed, he, he never talked about his time in the military. And we only found out that he was involved in the D-Day invasion after he passed away. We started going through some of his paperwork. This is what I'm getting at. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a war buff. I try to learn a little bit of details about every war that America has fought in. And I'm a big fan of the Civil War documentary by Ken Burns and well, let me put it this way. In a lot of cases, I'm sitting there thinking a lot of these men know they're going to die, but they're doing it anyway. 
And I guess that's a long way of asking you this. Did you ever thought about I could get killed being a Marine? And what how was what was your reaction to that if you did? Um well yes, from the time I was attempting to serve, I was always trying to put myself in the critical funnel of, of danger. That's uh I don't know why, but I've always been emboldened to serve in the most uh, austere environments on the most cutting edge team that do the most uh, gangster operations, frankly. So that was always a thing. But the Marines real quickly train uh, you to fight for you're fighting for America and you're fighting for the state of the mission. When you when you're actually on the gun line, you're fighting for the man or the woman on the left, the left and right flanks. I mean, back to the Spartan era when they had the the, the shields. The, the shield wasn't in front of you; it was from the the the, the man on your 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 right. You're, that's who you're fighting for. And if you and that's as as a as a you know a lifelong Viking warrior, my biggest fear in life is not death. My biggest fear in life is failing the brother to to my left or my right, and either you know not being honorable in my actions or committing a mistake that gets one of my brothers killed. That is like, you know. The Marines have a saying, death before dishonor. We live by that. And so, yes, my life being on the line, but that was never really an, an honest concern. Um, and, and to be frank, some of the most perilous you know, operations I've been in both as a SEAL and as a Marine, it wasn't even uh, something I thought about in the moment. What you really revert back to in those chaotic violence of war actions is back to your training. Um, if you've ever watched the matrix, that's really almost how the, the, the gunfights unfold is everything just goes super slow and you revert back to your ingrained tactics, techniques, and procedures. And that's what you fall back to. You don't even really feel, you know, pain in, the, in that moment or any sort of, you know, fear whatsoever. You just fall back to your training. So when you first joined the Marines and started your basic training, did you still have in mind? Uh, I'm going to serve in the Marines, but ultimately, I want to be a Navy SEAL. So that's that's, that's a great, great question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great, great question. No, at that point, as soon as I enlisted into the Marine Corps, I was bought into the Marine Corps brand um, 100%. They, did a, they do a great job of cultivating maturity, talent, leadership in their recruit training. Do the, they do the same thing in their officer candidate school. I had the, the privilege to go to both the enlisted Marine Corps recruit training. And then later when I got accepted in that, that paid commissioning program, I did the Marine Corps officer candidate school as well. It was during that time where I was working with uh, another Marine special operations, uh, former enlisted uh, operator who was on his track to getting his, his commission as well. He informed a possible thing to do and not easy, but it was possible to request the, the Marines to allow for an inter-service transfer. And it, I say not easy because it has to get approval, right? And essentially what I did, Lacey, is I said, hey, Marine Corps, thank you for, you know, meritoriously selecting me to go to college. The U.S. tax dollars paying for all of my college. And I, and by the way, I'm, you know, I'm staying in the military essentially as a, a staff non-commissioned officer. I was my, my, my base, my assigned place of duty was the University of Minnesota for three years. And I said, you know, thank you, Marine Corps, for investing all of this time, effort, and resources into me. Now I want to go to the Navy. It did not hit very well, as, as you can imagine. And to, to the best of my knowledge, the only person that got his package approved, but I did. I got a letter of release by the Commandant of the Marine Corps, who was like, you know, as a Christian, there's like Jesus for us. And then like right underneath that is the, the Commandant of the Marine Corps. He sent a, a cheeky letter back saying, hey, you know, you've been a great war fighter for us. You know, you've been crushing it. If you can get picked up for a SEAL spot, I'll release you. And I think it was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek response. I was competing for a, a spot from all of the – I know you were in Air Force ROTC for a while. You know, there's the Navy ROTC nationwide. And nationwide, they get about 15 spots annually to fill for SEAL officer spots. So I so fifteen thousand people compete for about fifteen slots. So I had like a one in a thousand, you know, of getting a, a selection. So he, I think he was he was hedging his bets that one get selected, but I, I, uh, I, I did. So he, but he, true to his word, the Marine Corps released me. So in two thousand twelve, 
I went from wearing my, you know, sexy Marine Corps dress blues to the the Navy milkman uh, officer whites, and then started the the SEAL pipe. And, and just so I'm clear, had you been accepted in the Navy SEALs before you left the Marines, or did you leave waiting on the formal acceptance uh, for the Navy SEAL training? Yeah, another great question. Um, wow, Lacey, I've never gotten these these questions. So how that actually worked was when you submit uh, an application for a commission into the Navy, all of the other, the whole NROTC, they submit like their top five things. It's like, I want to be a, a pilot. And then if that, that, then a submariner, if not that, then a, a surface warfare officer, a ship driver. I submitted, uh, you know, 1130. So I submitted to be a SEAL officer and then I just put X, 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 X. So if I didn't get selected, I didn't know if you're allowed to do that, but I did that. So I, you know, if, if you don't select me as SEALs, I'm not coming over essentially. Uh, luckily I was selected, you know, as a Naval Special Warfare Officer. And then we submitted that package to um, to the Navy because the Marines are technically a department of the Navy. So we right. submitted my conditional release from the Marine Corps and then my Navy uh, acceptance as a Naval Special Warfare Officer selectee. And then I essentially, the day I commissioned, I went from being Marine to Navy. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, suspend your modesty and humility for a brief second when you answer this question. Out of all the, you had a one out of a thousand chance uh, of being selected, uh, 15 people out of 15,000. What made, what stood out about Adam Schwartz that made the decision makers think, He's one of our guys that we need. He got he got what it takes. He got the right stuff. Uh, in your opinion, uh, if you can, uh, what special traits and qualities do you think stood out that made them select you one out of a thousand? Uh, I can say with pretty high confidence, it's three things. Uh, number one, going back to what I had spoken about earlier, just right place right time, right gear, right attitude. I did all the requirements to compete for the Navy SEAL officer spot. There's all these different things you can do, like just getting good grades in college, getting fit, good physical fitness scores, going and meeting other SEAL officers who are already in the community and just reaching out and saying, hey, I would like to talk to you, kind of like how I met you. Hey, I'm really interested in your experience. Can you give me some mentorship? Just doing that, right place, right time, right gear. You know that that was the, the the benchmark but i will be honest when you're trying to get through the, the the seal pipeline known as buds basic underwater demolition school seals they they're, mm -hmm. they're they, they want to prepare you for combat and they're testing for moral character leadership honor integrity um commitment all those those leadership traits there's 14 of them in the military that we, we go off of and being a, a prior enlisted Marine who had, you know, been in all five phases of the of combat in Iraq, who would, you know, pro proven leadership demonstrated with the Department of State and with our interagency apparatuses around the world, I was kind of a known entity. So you, you, when you have, you know, a, a regular naval ROTC personnel who's trying to, you know, 18, 19, 21 years old, who was just a, a blank slate, that's interesting and that's a lot of potential or you have somebody who's already been in the military for nine plus years and has, you know, 10 years of documented stellar records, both in combat and in the rear in garrison, we would say, and demonstrating leadership across the board at every spectrum. So I was, I was a known candidate. So I think it was, it was a, a safe bet for them to select me. But one of the things that I understood about the underwater test, it was basically to, get you to initially overcome your primal type of responses that goes to our primal part of our brains and short circuit that with some logic and reason. Is that, am I kind of close at all on that? Because I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah. And I, I went through the, the Bud's pipeline shoot, uh, you know, 11 or 12 years ago or something at this point. So it, it might have changed a little bit, but when I went through the BUDS uh, pipeline, there was this evolution called the underwater crossover where essentially you jump in, do a front flip underwater, and then you have to swim to the other side of Olympic pool and then swim back. 
and guys would straight pass out underwater and that what the instructors would do is they would literally at the time this is how we would get through it, it they as you said they want you to they want your commitment to be a navy seal so bad that it supersedes your desire to get oxygen to get air like they want you to want to be a navy seal so bad that if you can't make that little that test you choose to pass out and guys that would not make it you would just see them like go limp underwater and the instructors would ran them into the walls they'd be underwater two or three instructors watching this evolution so it was safely done because we had you know the instructor the instructor cadres were under underwater watching these the students do the candidates perform these feats and uh, you know the majority of them would make it that that's a first phase evolution where the majority of students um would be able to to make the underwater crossover back and forth but there's a couple each class that did not do it and they would either come up early and fail the evolution or they would just go limp underwater and the instructors would just take their 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 limp bodies and run them into the wall thus completing the evolution for them and then they'd come up and, and revive them you know bring them back on the pool deck nobody ever got hurt uh you know there's never any loss or even near near drowning experiences but as you you know eloquently put and accurately, they, that's a test to ensure that people want to be a Navy SEAL more than they want air. <laughs> so now you were engaged in quite a, sounds like it, a few combat scenarios. Am I correct in, in that? Um, yeah, I had my fair share of, of combat operations and deployments. Uh, as a Marine, I did all five uh, phases of Iraq. Not all of those were exceptionally kinetic. Some of them certainly were. Certainly, uh, obviously, the initial push was, and then later on, um, we, you know, we were the main effort in Ajaf, supporting effort Fallujah. A lot of people have heard about those two cities. Um, as a SEAL, I did a couple of deployments with SEAL Team 3, um, one to the Pacific Theater, non-kinetic, uh, but doing important things for, for national strategy. And the other one was in the, the Middle East doing, uh, again, sensitive things uh, for intelligence-wise. And then my last seven years... I was a part of Naval Special Warfare Undersea doing all missions that would be um, great power competition aligned. So Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, those are the kind of missions that we would focus on there. I really admire you. You got all kinds of talents in all kinds of areas. So uh, you get out of the, are you still participating? Are you in the uh, Army Res Naval Reserve or anything right now? Are you serving in the reserves at all, Adam? Are you still connected that way? Nope. I retired on, on 1 March 2023. Okay, so you're retired now, but in the meantime, besides your military duties, besides your educational pursuit, I'm assuming somewhere down the line you're holding a regular job like the rest of us uh, non-seal people out here. <laughs> uh, what were you doing career-wise during all this time? Uh, so the seven years I was a part of Naval Special Warfare Undersea, and during my last two years as I was getting ready to retire, I did those three master's programs at Harvard, and now I'm finishing up a double-double master's program uh, at Johns Hopkins Master's. Uh, I'll finish that next year, my master's in business administration, focusing on healthcare policy and reform, and uh, getting another master's in government and, and public policy, focusing on, on intelligence. Adam, it almost sounds like you're doing too much for us regular <laughs> folks here. Uh, with all I'm just going to be a, a well-rounded person, so I, 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 I appreciate your respect and all the accolades from military time. Being a 21-year servant uh, in, in the military, even though I was working with all those different agencies, have, have a lot of you know operational time and working with government holistically, I don't have a, a business background, so getting my MBA at Johns Hopkins and, and, and working on healthcare reform are issues, you know, you know, somebody who's living in Minnesota, I think that healthcare reform is important and it's, a, it's, it's an issue that translates across uh, the, the spectrum. I think we all can agree that we need healthcare reform. So I'm trying to get smart and become a well-rounded uh, citizen so I can be a servant leader in a different way. So ultimately, if you had to drop your ideal job let's say three years from now adam what would you be doing it would be something in the, the public sector where i'm continuing to support the united states of america 
I feel so honored that I was given such great opportunity by my adopted parents. And then this nation, which I've, you know, literally bled sweat and tears for my life, but they've given me the opportunity to get these six degrees to see the world. I've been to over 80 countries. I've seen how I've seen what it's like in Somalia when there's people leaving by boatloads by the thousands. I've seen them in, you know, the port of Makola off Yemen. You know, these people that are leaving Somalia and women, children in the thousands, they're they're going in, they're going to Yemen. Like how messed up does your life have to be where you're leaving one country, going to another country where you know best case scenario, all the women are gonna be forced into the sex trade, all the children are gonna be put a, a, an AK in their hand to be in the proxy war between Iran and you know the Houthis like to be used as like blood children soldiers. I know that there's and I've been all over Africa. You know, you know, a story that I talk about was when I went from Armenia to Africa working with the embassy. The government shipped all my stuff to the American embassy in Bamako, Mali. And it was all in these like triple layered cardboard boxes that were like the size of like refrigerator uh, cardboard boxes. Well, I pulled all my gear out, you know, threw it in my room. And then there was a cook that worked at the, the Marine barracks there in, in Mali. And he, he's like very meekly, very respectfully. He's like, hey, what are you going to do with those boxes, uh, Sergeant? I said, well, I'm just going to recycle them. He's like, would you mind if I took take them instead of you recycling them? Literally thought nothing of it. I'm like, absolutely. I'll, I'll go bring them for you. I'll help you fold them up and, and load them up and so you can take them home. He, Lacey, I'm not even making, you, you can't make this up. He got on his knees and started crying because what I had done by giving him the, the four or five boxes that all of my shipping had come in, I was, I was giving him an addition to his house for his family because he had like eight children in, you know, a developing nation in, in, in Mali. And those boxes now, those cardboard boxes were in addition to his house. You know, so I have these kind of experiences throughout my time in the military. It's not lost when, you know, the, the you know, not get political, but like the, the the woke agenda, the liberal left talk about like, you know, the one percenters. And as a as a white male growing up in America, like ab absolutely privileged, I will acknowledge that. But what people don't realize is that much bigger picture is just being American. You are the one percent of the world. And so I've never lost um, I've never lost perspective on that. And so I just want to give back to my country, continually that has given me so much. Well, you know, I've, I've made this statement before. Uh, I never regret other people's privileges because when I look at my life, I had the privilege of being raised by some great parents, uh, being uh, learned and taught by some great elders. I was privileged to grow up in church. I was privileged to have some of the best teachers and attend one of the best public school system I could ever dream of, even though it was in Mississippi and people, you know, they listen to the news reports that they think we're backwards down there, but I let them think that. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I had the privilege of being taught how to work set goals. So I had a lot of great privileges. I grew up around a hundred or some first cousin, all my aunts and uncles. Uh, and, you know, as a teenage boy, as you talk about the teenagers, I had some of the most beautiful, smartest young ladies in the world that was friends and girlfriends. And so I tell people, uh, I, I tell people I had a perfect childhood and not that bad things didn't happen, but I always saw my blessings. And so I don't ever, ever regret other people's blessings. And I just remember I was at a funeral one time and the preacher told the story of uh, Thomas getting his blessings and people getting jealous of it. And he painted it as, look, when one person get their blessings, that means that you just moved up in the line to get your blessings. So uh, I don't get into white, white supremacy and all that stuff. I, I just feel supreme. And, everything so i don't even go that route with the woke crowd on that so we're in agreement on that uh by the way uh just as an aside you don't have to respond when i heard your resume uh as you were talking i'm like i'm surprised he's not in the central intelligence agents or uh, one of the intelligence uh, organizations yeah. but you don't have to address that what are you doing currently education wise uh, and what's your plans when you're done adam the whole why is just, I just want to make myself more well-rounded. 
in the Marine Corps, we would say increase your fighting position. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to always be a better person, both spiritually, mentally, physically. Uh, you know, I, I'm a lifelong learner, a lifelong student. This is just a continuation of that path. You know, what I'm doing a, a alongside of that is just getting amongst it in Minnesota. You know, I, I spent the majority of 21 years, you know, fighting in, you know, 81 countries around the world. So I'm trying to just get my bearing straight in Minnesota. What What is going on with the people? What what? How can I be the best person to continue to provide service? Because um, that's that's my why in life, uh, you know, to mm -hmm. plug a, a gentleman by the name of Simon Simonek. He, he, his, he always talks about defining your why, whether I'm a Marine, whether I'm a SEAL, whether I'm, you know, somebody serving in public office, whether I'm, you know, a professor, my why is always just to be a servant to uh, the American people, to, to our values, right? So I, the, getting the, the master's in business administration just makes me more well-rounded in, in business, you know, with healthcare reform. Uh, it's that's just an issue that I, that I don't know a lot about right now, but I know that we all can agree in America, we need to do better at is healthcare reform. And then the master's in government is, you know, if I get this, this, this MBA in healthcare reform, well, how do I turn that into policy? How do I advocate to make a difference? And so the master's in government is to take, you know, really my, my whole adult life experiences, both in the military, my MBA educational, and then hopefully shift that into policies that have an effect in, on America. Uh, that's a good answer. So let me just deal with something else you mentioned. You've been to 81 different countries and you've had a chance to compare the rest of the world to the to America. And I know there's a lot, especially young people, and that's a lot of, I consider it propaganda to put down America, but I've done a little traveling myself. Now that's as extensive as you have. And I can tell people, the first time I was outside America, I appreciated America. And when you look Absolutely. at your experiences around the world, uh, can you see many countries that you consider, I, I don't know, how to, better than America? Because I couldn't find any, by the way. I'm just being upfront. And uh, yeah, we're not perfect. Yeah, we got some things we did wrong. And yeah, like family, we get in to arguments and discussions and fights every once in a while. But I just like the way the country is set up. And uh, I think it offers a great opportunity and mechanism to achieve whatever we want to achieve as individuals, as group, and as a country. But compare your travels around the world with, you know, your and how it impacts your assessment of this country. Well, honestly, Lacey, I, I don't think I could say it better than you just did, frankly, is, you know, in all of my travels throughout the entire world, I don't see a nation on this planet that has ever been constructed in such a beautiful way as the framers did for America. And that's kind of what you said is foundationally, the way the framers came up with the Constitution and the, the, the outline, the blueprints, if you will. And yes, absolutely. We should talk about the you know the the history of slavery the, you know the red the stain in our in our in our histories you know all the wars around the world where we've meddled in other nations uh democracies like that history should be talked about and explored to the full extent but it does not take away that our foundation the constitution and the, the our founding forefathers put up the framework is unique uh special throughout the the history of humankind i have not seen it replicated anywhere we are a city on the, the, the signing shit city on the hill. Um, and, and we, anybody who has traveled extensively understands that, frankly. The only people who, who speak negatively about America are people that are just, they're, they're speaking out of ignorance. So I try not to take it personal. I try to just educate people almost as if I would, looking back to my own life when I was a preteen angst and, you know, throwing pies, you know, at, you know my Catholic school, private school education, it just I didn't know any better. I wasn't mature. I didn't have uh, the experience. We're now looking back and I feel bad. Younger version of myself I didn't know any better. That's kind of how I look at the young, you know, academic populace right now and all these Ivy League schools that are anti-Christian, anti-Jew, uh, you know, like this anti-Semitism movement that's happening right now in the classrooms. They just don't know. 
um, and, and the, the, the progressive leftists went on campuses that are anti-American. Uh, they just don't know. They haven't lived on, on this planet long enough to understand. They certainly haven't traveled to, you know, the, the million plus internment camps where there's, you know, millions of people in the Chinese slave camps. They haven't seen, you know, the African tribes that are still there having slaves today and still like have slave wars in the continent of Africa. They don't know that there's all these uh, proxy wars happening around the planet where not only can you not be a person of faith of really any faith, if you're not the right faith, you will be tortured and killed. Um, you know, the majority of the planet is not open to the whole LGBTQ movement. America largely is. It certainly is institutionally. Certainly there are racists in the United States of America today. Certainly there are people that are not inclusive to orientations, to genders, to sexual identities, all of that. But that is not institutionally what America is all about. It has never been institutionally. And how I like to frame it is, you know, we have this great constitution, which is the Found America. Certainly we should, you know, upkeep the drapes, change out the stairs, redo the carpet. And we've done that. We've given women the right to vote not till later we don't have that took time i understand that and back to you know improving our fighting position that is what america does as a nation but that whole time where we continue to better our nation we still have the bedrock of that foundation on the constitution which is exceptionally unique and you know certainly i have been and will be willing to give my life to defend because it does set us up for a complete tra trajectory so long as we don't lose sight of that well, I think you hit on a couple of points there, and we need to be honest. Uh, someone mentioned that slavery was always the snake under the table, and we paid a hell of a price for it with the Civil War. I think the fact that we've meddled in other countries, I think a lot of wars are about uh, capturing the assets of the uh, of different lands and things like that. But that can be true, and also the ideal of this country to still be good and the work that we've done uh, to reach those ideals. It is something, you know, people talk about colonialism and imperialism and America has never fought a war to increase our lands. You know, since, since world war two, we have never fought in any of these proxy wars, any of these other wars around the world since, you know, since the great wars, we have always fought to better democracy, to, you know, to export our values for right or for wrong. We've never fought as an imperialistic nation, you know, since the great world war, certainly. And, and, and number two is we've just fought for, uh, for what we call like just cause doing things the, the right way. We are not fighting wars, uh, against a, a people of different races anymore. And if you talk about like fighting wars to support, if you look at, like you just talked about the war, if you took all our casualties from all of America's wars throughout all the history of America, they would pale in comparison to just the, the I forget, the amount of casualties that we lost during Civil War to correct that stain of slavery. The, the Civil War was the bloodiest war in American history. And, I, and you know, we paid a, a high price for it rightfully, uh, you know, as, as everybody, will, all, most Americans would agree, but that was the bloodiest war was to correct that. And we also had the first, you know, Republican president who gave, gave his life uh, to, to Abraham Lincoln was the first Republican president, gave his life, uh, was assassinated to correct that wrong. That's, those are good points. I think the estimates are around, we lost about 600,000 people in the Civil War. Yeah, you know, I think it was 400,000 directly and then a couple hundred thousand right, later right. on, yeah. As our audience, have heard and seen. Uh, we have an outstanding military person here. As I told you, as we begin in the show, uh, I've come from a family of military people and that we should keep uh, soldiers like you and they're almost all of them are like that. I mean, I, I was just impressed by all the people I did within the service. Uh, I asked you to think of them this Veterans Day and think of Adam and think about the people in your family that served in the military. Uh, and perhaps even think twice about any protest that, that involves uh, burning the flag or uh, disrespecting the na national anthem. And keeping in mind, there's a militant side of me. That, I got some black militants in me, but 
I I balance things. And when you are disrespecting the flag and burning the flag, I'm thinking about my dad. I'm thinking about my brothers. I'm thinking about all the great people I know out there. Uh, I'm just thinking about uh, the service. And a lot of times when it's done, people are doing it in private work areas. But, but we're not going to get into that. We're, let's stay focused on Veterans Day and the service you've given to our country and, and a lot of men like that throughout history. So, Adam, uh, I'd like to end my podcast on a positive note uh, from my guest. And since you are my guest this evening, I'd like for you to uh, give our audience, uh, first of all, your perspective on Veterans Day, any special plans you're going to have, and then just send them off uh, in a very positive manner, and we'll let you go and get some supper or something like that. And I, I, I got to hurry up and go vote. <laughs> I just realized that the polls open to eight o'clock, right? I got to go vote. Uh, well, go ahead, Adam. Uh, uh, yeah. End us, send us up, give us a good send off here about Veterans Day, what you're going to be doing, your perspective, and some positive messages for our audience. Um, the positive message is we were put on this planet, blessed be, by the blood, sweat, and tears on the backs of all the people that came before us uh, to be on this great soil of the greatest nation in the history uh, of planet Earth. I would say with that comes the responsibility to give back. And, you know, I was blessed to be put in a position where I was able to affect a hopefully positive change for not only a, a America prop, you know, our values in, in a worldwide scale. I, I, but I hope that everybody takes a moment to recognize just how grateful they should be uh, because of all the, the gifts and the opportunity that just being on a soil presents. It is very unique, the opportunities that just come with being an American.